Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, and a pleasant good Tuesday morning to each and every one of you. We welcome you, as always, to Off the Bench, presented by our friends at United Dairy Farmers. I'm Tom Brenneman. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time. You can find us in a variety of ways. On YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports, we always ask if you would, please subscribe to the program. We also stream live on Facebook, the Chatterbox Sports page. And if you'd prefer the podcast, and many of you do, please search off the bench with Tom Brenneman and you're dialed in. Well, we start in college basketball, and here we go. Championship week officially kicking into high gear after a flurry of tournament action over the weekend, now bleeding into this week capping off with a monster weekend and selection Sunday, this coming Sunday, seven schools. You have Farley Dickinson, Southeast Missouri State, UNC Asheville, Drake, Kennesaw State, last night Louisiana and Furman have punched their tickets to the NCAA tournament. And one local school has a chance to get to the big dance tonight. That would be Northern Kentucky. The Norse manhandled the top seed Youngstown State last night in the Horizon League semis, 75-63 the final. NKU lived this game by 22 points. It got all the way down to five in the second half. But in crunch time, they were money. Marquez Warwick was 22 points. The big man, Chris Brandon, has just been unbelievable. 17 rebounds. In their 33 games this year, he has 10 or more rebounds in 17 of them. 10 last night on the offensive glass. Tonight's title game pits NKU against Cleveland State, and you want to talk about two teams evenly matched. They played twice during the regular season. They split the season series, and each game was decided by one point. The voice of the North, Jim Kelch, will join us from Indianapolis in about 10 minutes to talk about tonight's championship game. Other action, Xavier will head out later tonight for the Big Apple in preparation for Thursday night's opening round of the Big East Conference Tournament. Exa number two seed will play the winner of tomorrow's game between DePaul and Seton Hall. We know the Muskies are gonna have to play the rest of the year without Zach Fremantle. The 6'9 senior undergoes foot surgery, we're told, today. UC, the fourth seed in the American Athletic Conference Tournament. That's in Fort Worth, Texas. The Bearcats play the number five seed Temple Friday at 3 o'clock. All right, football. Let's start with Derek Carr. The former Raiders quarterback inks a four-year deal with the New Orleans Saints that could potentially be for $150 million with $100 million guaranteed. He will average $30 million a year for the first two years of that contract. Comeback player of the year, hell, he should have been comeback player of the decade. Geno Smith signs a three-year, $105 million contract to stay in Seattle. Smith, who primarily in his career has been a backup, won the starting job after the Seahawks traded Russell Wilson and wound up going to the Pro Bowl. Good for Geno Smith. It's a great story. The clock is ticking. You can hear it. Tick, 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 to 4 o'clock today. On a new deal for Baltimore quarterback Lamar Jackson. The team said they will take it right up to the deadline later today before putting a franchise tag on him, and they've already said they're going to do it. 
if they can't get the deal done. They've been trying at this for two years. And again, 4 o'clock is the time today. Three other teams, by the way, have already used the franchise tag on players. The Cowboys with running back Troy Pollard. The Jaguars with tight end Evan Ingram. And the Commanders with Deron Payne, the defensive tackle. Interesting news in Kansas City. The Super Bowl champs said they will not franchise tag all pro left tackle Orlando Brown. The two sides will try and do a long-term deal, but it doesn't look good. And if unable, Brown hits the free agent market. The team frees up $20 million per year on the salary cap. The Chiefs also are expected to release later today veteran Pro Bowl defensive end Frank Clark. He would clear the decks on another $20 million. Baseball 35-year-old veteran Chase Anderson tosses two scoreless innings as the Reds beat Colorado 6-1. Anderson is competing for a spot in the starting rotation. He's been around the block, been a pretty good pitcher for a long time. But the big story continues to be Christian Encarnacion Strand. He had two more hits yesterday, including a home run. He's hitting nearly 650 in the spring. Bobby Nightingale. Junior from Cincinnati.com will join us at 11 o'clock to talk more about the Reds from Goodyear, Arizona. Late breaking news is Joe Mixon. Now, I'm going to read the story and give the credit straight off Cincinnati.com. Okay, here's the deal. Mixon lives out in Anderson Township. A juvenile, a 17-year-old, was taken to the hospital last night after a report of gunfire around the home associated with Bengals running back Joe Mixon. That's according to the Hamilton County Sheriff's Office. Officials have not released any information on the condition of the juvenile or the circumstances of the reported shooting. There has been no report of any arrest in connection with this incident. They show up last night after hearing about gunfire, Deputies were investigating a home on that block that later included a second home. And that's the address that matches the court documents filed in a prior incident in which Mixon was accused of aggravated menacing. The charges, of course, were later dropped, although the investigation is still ongoing. So, look, at the end of the day, nobody knows for sure. And the Bengals and no one from Mixon's camp except for his sister. Mixon's sister comes out and says, Joe Mixon has nothing to do with this whole thing. So look, much like the prior situation, you don't want to jump to conclusions. We don't know the story. That's all the information we're getting. It's on every single news organization in the country. I mean, everything from Channel 19 to Channel 5 to Fox News to Cincinnati.com. Those are uh, some of the details, very few albeit, that we know at this point in time. But what we do know is, for some reason, Joe Mixon's name continues to come up in some form or fashion in ways that you don't want it coming up. Uh, now, look, I can speak from a little bit of experience on this kind of thing, uh, and I'm not suggesting this is a deal with Mixon uh, in this situation. But a lot of times... Professional athletes who buy a home in the city in which they play. Now, football players are generally different than baseball players. 
most baseball players, because they come in the summer, and you like being in Cincinnati in the summer, but in the winter, they get out of town, and they'll go live in Arizona or Florida or Texas, wherever it might be. They can continue to work out all those kinds of things, and some football players do the same. But most football players are required to come in year-round, right? Football season's played in the fall and the winter. They continue to work out. They have OTAs in the spring, after the draft. Then you have camp right here in Cincinnati since moving from Wilmington and moving from down in Kentucky at Georgetown and so forth. What I'm getting at in a long-winded way is a lot of times the players have a home and a residence, and when they leave to go out of town at the end of a season, no matter how long it might be, they'll have relatives that stay in the house or they'll have friends that stay in the house. And sometimes there will be situations like this where the owner of the house, and according to all the documents, it's owned by a trust. But again, according to court documents, this is a resident that allegedly belongs to Joe Mixon. The bottom line is, as we bring in Casey McAllister and the boss is here. A little intimidating sitting here doing the show with the boss right. sitting right there in the catbird seat, Trace Fowler. Bottom line is, fellas, um, and again, don't know the details, but the bottom line is, his name continues to pop up, and this is not good. Yeah, I don't know. if Casey, you want to go first? Yeah, my initial thoughts, um, it, it's really uh, strange. Because now when we're talking about him being cut from the team, his future, I mean, that, that, those weren't conversations we had throughout his entire career until now leading up to this point. And now all these things are starting to come out. Um, coincidental, I guess. Um, it's just very strange to me. I, I don't like it because it really affects his character and it would, if the Bengals were to go ahead and let's say cut him, right? It would look worse for him than what it truly is potentially. Uh, and that's what I said last time when he got into trouble or, had these charges brought up on him about potentially uh, threatening to kill someone. Um, you know, it was like if he were to be let go by the Bengals, then it would look like he was guilty. Um, and the same thing now, right after the combine, after reports were that his future was not guaranteed, something happens to where the cops are called and show up at his place. So it's just... Um, unfortunate for him and his narrative that this is happening i don't know if this specific instance really means anything because we don't even know if he was there right like there's, there's no nothing, idea there's no report saying that he was even involved in the incident his sister um, swears he wasn't so i mean i i would take her word for it i mean i don't i mean if he was a part of the incident they would know very quickly if he was right. Like they, they you could would assume, do, yes. they could find the evidence of him either holding the gun or not having an alibi, all those different circumstances. So we'll probably know more details soon. I imagine if something is to come out of this, but as of right now, I don't know if there truly is anything. I don't know if it just happened to be terrible coincidence that it, happened something happened again and it's just 
yeah, that, that, that's my take on it. I don't know if it's just a terrible coincidence or not. I'm just here to wait and see if there's any more details to come out of this. Trace, any thoughts? Well, quickly, I, I think it's relatively unfortunate. And to put, to put aside the idea that I read in the article that it looked like there was minor injuries, so I'm assuming that everyone's okay and fine before I go into this next point. But if you're the Cincinnati Bengals, you're in a position where Joe Mixon, you drafted him when – there was a lot of the league that didn't want to draft him. Yep. That's the reason he fell to you in the first place. Yep. So you got a you got a first round running back uh, with a second round pick. Yep. And for the most part, you know, throughout his entire career, he's been a model citizen. Whatever term you'd like to yes, use, yes, he has. He's been perfectly, perfectly uh, what you would want from the Cincinnati Bengals when you made that draft pick. Yep. He's proven that he has not been a problem for a long time. He's been a good locker room guy. You yep. never really heard him come out and say anything uh, that would make you really question his character. Um, and it's unfortunate for him that he's in a position, a precarious position, where he's probably the right thing to do from an, a franchise position is to either renegotiate a deal significantly and or cut him. And these two things have come out during that time frame. So the last point I would make, and this is something to think about, is I think the Bengals at this point, if they want to get a, done, a deal done with him and they really want to keep him around, uh, Joe Mixon's in a spot now where he has to get a deal done. Um, so from a negotiation or a leverage standpoint, and you can like it or not, the Cincinnati Bengals will use this to their advantage, knowing that the rest of the league, they don't know him well. They, the Bengals know him the best. The, if the Bengals want to keep him, they will use this as leverage and, and, and bring that price point down as much as they possibly can and say, listen, if you want to leave, just know it's going to be difficult with the last two things that have happened because there's going to be a, half the teams in this league aren't even going to touch you. Yeah, especially so, with – Especially, sorry, especially with like the John Morant thing and like all the other players around the league. And now I think they're just looking and they're just scared if you want to go that route, kind of adding on to that narrative that you're trying to portray here that teams will be nervous to have to deal with someone that might be a character issue. So, I mean, the thing that separates this from the last thing. We know that Mixon was directly involved in the last thing. That cannot be denied. Everybody has agreed. He had a gun. Um, the person that he threatened, um, you know, the, 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 the prosecutor's office says there's still an open investigation on this thing. But we know Joe Mixon had a gun and had some kind of situation downtown when the team was going to leave right before the Buffalo playoff game. This thing is now escalated even to a far higher level because now you actually have a human being, a 17-year-old, and I'm not suggesting the 17-year-old wasn't guilty of trying to break in the house. I have no idea. But you have a 17-year-old now who was shot, actually shot. So look, if somebody in that house Feels like somebody's trying to break in. I know somebody's trying to break in my house. Right? You have every right in the world to shoot them. Every right in the world. If that's what you think is going on to protect your family and protect your property, I'm not endorsing anybody doing that. But that's a reality. And you have to wonder, what are a bunch of 17-year-olds doing hanging around Joe Mixon's house after dark? On the street and the block where he lives. We're going to find out more about this in short order. And Tracy, you are spot on. Both of you guys are spot on. Uh, this guy, we all know what happened in Oklahoma, punching the woman, 
Video has been seen a billion times. Uh, and they rolled the dice on this guy. And they took a chance. And it has paid off for the Bengals all the way up until now. Because he has been a model citizen. You haven't written, read anything about this guy. Trace, you point out. By all accounts, great locker room guy. Team first. Not me, me, me. You know, you're these running backs who go from rushing for 1,200, 1,300, 1,100, down to this year, 800. And they're complaining about their playing time, the number of touches. You never heard that from Mixon. He plays with passion. He plays with fire. He cares about his teammates. He's always there giving guys on the defense water, all that. I mean, you, 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 all of us see it. But we don't know what happens when he leaves the facility. And there is... When one of you, I think you said, Casey, half the teams are going to be scared off, it's going to be a lot more than half the team scared off. Because a lot of them were scared off when he came out of college. Every team in the league passed on the guy. Every one of them had a draft pick before he got picked. Yeah, and you add in the fact that there's really not a huge market for his age running backs in the first with. place. Yeah. There's not, he's, he's, just in a, he's in a really tough spot in his career where – as they say, your, your leash is, on, is only as long as how good you are or how valuable you are. When you're, uh, like we've talked about outside this office, Joe Burrow could go out and do damn near anything outside of going to prison and the Cincinnati Bengals are going to let him back in the building. When you get to Joe Mixon's age at his position, that's just not the case. He was already, he's given every, every possible scenario that could possibly happen to make this an easy decision for the Bengals. He's done that for them. And that's relatively sad to a certain extent because I don't know, I don't know what his involvement is in all this. And I, I also would say, without speculating too much, it wouldn't shock me in the world if you're right about the kids and there was a plaxico type Burris situation where the kid shot himself in the in the leg and right. Well, you know, that's good point. Now, now you got to hold this 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 fiasco going on. Who knows if Joe's even there? But at the end of the day, like I said, to make it simple. The Bengals will use this as leverage. That's probably the biggest storyline from a sports perspective that I can think of when it comes to this situation. I don't think anything will come of it because if so, they would have already gotten down and drilled into the details if there was something majorly wrong. The police would have already escalated it and made sure that it was taken care of. However, the biggest storyline in my opinion is if the Bengals want to keep them, they're going to they're gonna take that salary as low as they can go. And or if they don't want to keep them, they're going to point to these two instances and say, hey, we got to let you go. Sorry. Casey, uh, I just got a text from Jim Kelch. Did you reach out to him on that email? Yes, I did. Okay. Uh, I have to check his spam. Sorry, I'm having to do this right now, but he's ready to come on. Please forgive me. You're fine. Because <clears throat> we're going to have Jim Kelch to talk about the Norse. Well, I tell you what. Big win. They come out of the woodwork. Your alma mater. The alums. Did you know they played last night, by the way? I did know. I did. I was watching them. How much of the game did you watch? Tell the truth. I watched the first half and thought the game was, you know, wrapped up. But I uh, was checking the ESPN app as I'm sitting there watching an indoor game. Watching and what? An uh, indoor soccer game. Fiance plays Fiance indoor plays soccer. Fiance plays indoor oh, I got you. Okay. And so... <clears throat> He says, uh, send it again. You got the, the, the email we went through, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Case we'll send it again. It. But they play, they play um, 
Milwaukee tonight. Or no, Cleveland no, State like tonight. Cleveland State. Milwaukee got ran over by Cleveland State last yes. night. And as you mentioned on the rundown there at the beginning of the show, uh, they split home and home uh, with one-point wins for each. That yep. was the shot. The, the time they beat Cleveland State was the time that Warwick on his birthday hit that, hit yep. that bomb to win the game. And uh, I was going through the box scores. This isn't uh, the best way of scouting for, for games, is to run through box scores and just do a quick little box score scouting. But <clears throat> Cleveland State shot very poorly in one of their games. They shot 10% from three, and it was a one-point game. But then on the opposite side, uh, they shot well the second game, and then, oddly enough, Cleveland State only won by one. The difference, though, for Northern Kentucky in both of these games, they've got out and rebounded by 10 or more rebounds in both games. So if you think of that, some people from a, from a perspective of they overvalue turnovers. If I walked in here and I said they turned the ball over 10 extra times on, in two different games against Cleveland State, you'd be like, well, if, if, they don't, if, they do, if they do that again, they're going to lose. Rebounds, in my opinion, are the same thing, Tom. Like if, if you can't get an offensive re or a defensive rebound, you're basically giving the team an extra possession. So if Northern Kentucky wants to win tonight, they're going to have to find a way to do a little bit of a better job on the glass. Thankfully, they got a guy that can do that down yeah. there at least. I seems. mean, this Brandon guy, you know, I mean, watching the game last night, and I gave some of his numbers for rebound. He's the 14th leading rebounder in the country. He's 6'8". Um, and he's a transfer from Detroit Mercy. Uh, he played there uh, three years before he came to Northern Kentucky. He's played the last two. Uh, and he's the 14th leading rebounder in the country. But on the offensive glass is where this guy, he's as good an offensive rebounder as I've seen on any player in the country this year. I mean, he had 17 rebounds last night, 10 of them on the offensive glass. And that's what this guy does seemingly every single night. They're a fun team to watch. They're very well coached. They play great defense. That's been their calling card most of the year. It's only been recently they've started to score a lot of points or a lot more points. Uh, but defense is where they hang their hat. And so, you know, we'll talk to Jim Kelch here in a second. Hopefully we can get this thing uh, dialed in and get him on there. Still not there, right? He's dialing in. Okay, dialing in right now. Okay. Jim Kelch, of course, uh, I was with Jim when he was announcing uh, the Reds games um, and does a great job. I was over there watching the lacrosse practice last night and had the radio on and listened to Jim. Um, and his partner, is it Rick Broering? Yeah, Rick Broering. He does Broering. a nice job. He does, uh, Rick, Rick does a lot of stuff. He's been on the rebound rundown with Paul. Paul does a lot of things. Oddly enough, I think Rick uh, is a big NKU guy, but he also does uh, the Musketeer Report. So, yeah. oddly enough, he's a, probably a busy guy at this time of the oh, year. Oh, there's so. no doubt. There's no doubt. So. Well, let's go to Indianapolis. He's dialed in. The aforementioned. Hello, Thomas. Jim Kelch, how are you, man? It's great to see your face. How's everything? It's all going well, yeah, particularly right now after that win last night. And uh, this is, of course, as you know, just a great, great sports time of the year. And uh, there's nowhere I'd rather be right here than in Indianapolis tonight. Well, I was listening to you and Rick last night. I've listened to you the last number of games as this Northern Kentucky thing has started to gain some steam and playing so well. well what's the difference, Jim, here before we get to last night's game or tonight's game, most importantly? What has been the difference? We had Coach Horn on the other day, but from your perspective, what has been the difference in this team the last three, four weeks? Tom, I think that they really build toward this time of year. And while I don't want to take anything away from the regular season, I think that they look to do things 
during the course of the regular season to get to this weekend in March because when you're in the Horizon League, this is everything. This is the this is the goal. This is uh, uh, reaching for the brass ring. If you don't get something done here this weekend, then your season by and large is over. Uh, you can go to some of the smaller postseason tournaments, but at NKU, it's NCAA or NIT. So I think everything they did, tweaking the offense, tweaking the way they're playing defense, tweaking the personnel that play st as a starter, maybe get, as guys coming off the bench, all leads towards what they can get done at the end of the season, what they can get done here in Indianapolis. And I'll be darned, it didn't start with John Brennan and it worked well with him. And it's carried over with Darren Horn the four years that he's been here. Yeah, they, uh, you guys were talking last night, and then I caught the last minute and a half or two minutes, whatever it was, at home on, on, on television once I got back home. And, you know, they were really talking a lot about this NKU program uh, and how, what, four of the last five years they've played in the title game in the Horizon League Tournament Championship. You talked about Coach Brandon. He did a great job there. Uh, and now Coach Horn. Well, what is um, – and you were around for Coach Brandon, too, and, and not to get into to, to his tenure there. He built this thing up, and now Horn is, is taking over and trying to take him to even higher heights. What, for, for those that are just now paying attention to NKU, what kind of players? Where are they getting their players from, by and large? You know, that's a really good question because in this day and age of the transfer portal, of the 11 teams in the Horizon League, NKU is probably the only one, maybe one other, but probably the only one who uses the transfer portal, but not using it to build the entire roster. If you look at the NKU team, Xavier Rhodes, the point guard, Chris Brandon, the post player, are the two transfer guys that came in. Brandon two years ago from uh, within the league at Detroit, and uh, Xavier Rhodes is a D2 player this year. But by and large, Coach Brannon and now Coach Horn, they build this team what we'd like to call maybe the old-fashioned way. They get freshmen in here, they redshirt them some, they bring them along, and it's a team that is built for the long haul, not for the short-term a la UK. Every year you have a different team. For instance, when you look at the Cleveland State team, they're built on a lot of transfers. Last night's team in Youngstown State, their top six players, all transfers. So... It's a different team every year, but that's not really been the case here. And I think they build uh, towards when they're a sophomore, when they're a junior, when they're a senior, to learn the program, to get better. Because the defensive style that uh, Coach Horn plays takes a little time to learn, takes a little time to get used to. And uh, so he's done it the old-fashioned way. And I think in the end, that, that's a good thing. Um, let's talk about uh, tonight's game a little bit. We, we were talking before you came on the air. You go back and you look inside the box scores. They've played twice. NKU and Cleveland State, both games decided uh, by one single digit. Um, and, and Trace was going through how uh, both times uh, NKU was, was grossly out-rebounded by Cleveland State. Did you feel like that was the difference in, in, in the two games, even though, you know, they won one and lost one NKU? Or what do you think the difference could be tonight? Well, this is a, a, a Cleveland State team that does not shoot the three. I mean, they have the second fewest threes in the league. And yet, when they defeated NKU at Cleveland State, Tom, they had six threes and 18 attempts. That's a season high for them in terms of attempts. 
They had some big threes that got them over the top, which they don't normally do. This is a team that loves to push the ball inside. They have a transfer in Tristan Enaruna, who is an all-conference player and by far their best player. Uh, they have a, a fifth-year senior in Deontay Johnson, who's a rebounding machine. But their strength is offensive rebounding. If you look back at the two games, they killed NKU on the glass, as you said, particularly on the offensive end. NKU won that first game on a last-second three uh, by Marquez Warwick. Mm-hmm. But I think it comes down tonight that who is playing the best basketball? Both teams are playing pretty well right now, but let's hope that NKU uh, – from a defensive standpoint, because as I know you've talked to Coach Horn before, everything starts with his team with defense, and they're playing pretty darn good defense right now. I want to ask you about Brandon. I'm just kind of curious off the top of my head real quick. I know he was a transfer from Detroit. He's played five years. Would he be granted another year because of the COVID year if he wanted to come back and play next year? I think, Tom, this is his COVID year because he played three years up at Detroit, and in the midst of that was the COVID year. And then he was, his senior year would have been last year. So this would have been the extra year for him. So he would be finished after this year. Well, based on what you just said, and, uh, you know, look, I, I really paying attention to him in particular. And I know there are a lot of other guys. There's been a lot of balance scoring. They had uh, five guys in double figures in their first game of the tournament. They had nearly four guys in double figures last night, one point shy of having four players in double figures. But, but, but Brandon seems like he's going to be – extremely important tonight based on what you just said about rebounding. I mean, this guy is a rebounding machine, especially on the offensive glass. Um, Might he be the most important player on the floor tonight for NKU? Well, when you talk to Darren Horn, he says this team lives and dies really with two players. Chris Brandon's energy in terms of rebounding and Marquez Warwick in terms of his shooting and getting open. Because let's face it, he's the leading scorer on this team, so everybody keys on him offensively and if he's not doing the job then this team struggled for a while they found their way around that now but they're in the middle of the season it was Marcos Warwick or nothing and in terms of uh, the energy that Chris Brandon brings this guy leads the league in rebounding he's not a big time scorer but if he's not participating in the lane and handling things in the paint then this team struggles and that's why it was so important last night he got off to a great start I think he had eight rebounds in the first 10 minutes of the game and so when he has that motor going, this team does a great job. All right, Jimbo, I'm excited for you, man, having a chance to call a game like this tonight. I know that uh, Northern Kentucky, their fans travel very, very well, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun tonight. Hopefully we'll be talking to you and Coach Horn again here uh, in the next few days leading up to an NCAA tournament appearance. That'd be all right, wouldn't it? Well, if they, if they can get their fourth bid, that would really be a lot of fun. And uh, who knows where they'll go, what kind of seed they would get. But the point is, if they can make it, that would be great. And, Tom, it's great to see and talk to you again, buddy. You too, Jimmy. All the best, man. Best to your family. Tell everybody we said hello. Grandpa Jim Kelch, by the way. Indeed. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> Absolutely. Jim Kelch, kind enough to join us. What a great dude. I mean, that, that guy. He should be broadcasting Major League Baseball again. I know he's thrilled about doing Northern Kentucky, but um, I hope, I really hope this guy gets a chance to broadcast uh, Major League Baseball again because I, I, I have a feeling, I don't want to speak for him, but I have a feeling it's something that he would uh, very much like to do. Good man. Jeff One Kelch. thing I've noticed with broadcasters um, is that their voice is their voice. Oh, yeah. You know? It's yeah. like uh, some people, when you before you really meet maybe a broadcaster, you think that they have this persona or they put this voice on when they go on air, and that's just not the case at all. It's no. just exactly how you talk is exactly how you broadcast. 
I mean, he was a minor league broadcaster for a long time, over 15 years down there at Louisville and got the chance with the Reds. And, um, and I hope he gets another one. Uh, Sir Boy Wonder, among many, many others, saying Jim Kelch is very much missed. Everybody likes Tommy Thrall. I'm not saying that Tommy should be. I don't take that the right. wrong way in any form or fashion. But, um, you know, this is exciting. Uh, Jason Williams, a great columnist at the Cincinnati uh, Enquirer, he wrote an interesting piece today about, you know, does Cincinnati, there was, there was a time when Huggins was here and when Mick Cronin was here. There was a time when we got to this point in time in the year where this town was going crazy because, what, Huggins, 18 years or whatever it was, and, 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 and going to the NCAA tournament, Cronin had a run uh, of nine years in a row going to the NCAA tournament after a slow start. But barring a miracle in the American Athletic Conference this weekend, uh, UC is not going to the NCAA tournament. NKU has a chance tonight. We know Xavier's going. Dayton has a chance. And look, who knows in the MAC tournament? Maybe Miami puts together an unbelievable run. Likely, no. Could it happen? Anything can happen. But he makes a point, and I'm curious if you guys agree, that if UC is not in the hunt, the madness is not the same in Cincinnati. And he made the point it's taking nothing away from Xavier. But it's a small private school, right, with an incredibly dedicated fan base. They sell out virtually every game at CentOS Center, 10,000, whatever it is, right? But that it's not the same. Do you guys agree with that? That's more than fair. Yeah, I... I the XU it, fans are going to go crazy when you talk about this. No, I don't even know if Xavier fans, the the the... the ones that are relatively, you know, non-blinders on, if you will, they, they would agree that, listen, if, if UC is not even competitive when it comes time to March, that the buzz around the city is not the same. I think I would even argue that the, the, that Xavier could have a really great team and it would almost be spiteful for half the city because they're not competitive as well. The best time is when they're both relatively competitive and there's jawing going back and forth. When UC is not relevant, it makes it harder for that jawing to go back and forth because UC fans are going to be quiet at that moment. Now, one would argue that UC's days are just around the corner with the Big 12 and West, so it's not like they're Georgetown. You know, yep. you, you could be in a situation where you're Georgetown and you're never, you're not sure if you're ever going to get back. But um, but yeah, I don't. Is that even arguable? I don't. I don't. Maybe I'm being naive, but I. I we have plenty of X fans in the chat. I'd like to see what they think. X is X is great. They have a good chance to get maybe to the second weekend for um, the first time in a little bit. A little bit, but it's not going to be the same without UC. No, no. And I mean, you know, and even Skip Prosser, Jason Williams made the, the point that he he was reflecting on a conversation he had with Skip Prosser, the late great, beautiful human being, beautiful man, great coach. Love that guy, Skip Prosser. Um, that even he said when he was at Xavier, he said there is something to be said for a team that has a town or a state in its name. University of fill-in-the-blank, right? right? Could be Kansas. It could be Oklahoma. It could be North Carolina. It could be Cincinnati. could be Ohio State. And that... You know, and, and, I, and I go to Texas just because, you know, having a daughter goes to school down there. There's the University of Texas, and then there's everybody else, right? right? TCU can play in the national championship game in college football this year. It's a small private school that has 9,000 students, much like Xavier, 
right? Or whatever it is, 11,000 students. So nobody is knocking Xavier in any form or fashion. They're a fun team to watch. They're an exciting team to watch. They are incredibly well coached. We've said that on this show thousands of times. That Sean Miller is without a doubt one of the five best coaches in all of college basketball. He wouldn't have been hired at Arizona in a program like that. He wouldn't have been brought back despite some of the questions and people wondering about what was going on back there at Arizona and all the rest of that stuff. And he has taken a program that had been down for the last three or four years and assembled a team that now looks like it's going to be a top four seed in the NCAA tournament. Right? Or do you think Freeman will be an out changes that? Well, that's the question of the day. I, I, I kind of laughed about this the other day. I, I was in here and I said that I have a hard time seeing Xavier get to the second weekend. And, uh, you know, Paul obviously mentioned that Freemantle was a big piece of that. And if he's not back, he could see it. But then the other day, they were mentioning how well they were playing without him. Yep. So I'm just curious. We don't have any Xavier. We'll have to ask Paul that before maybe before the tournament is like, is that changed now? Because Fremantle has been out for a little while. You guys are starting to play well. Is that kind of pushed to the side to where if you get bounced in the first round, perhaps, is that is that an excuse or is it not an excuse? And I'm not saying that, you know, that that's going to happen. But again, I would be concerned if I'm Xavier without Fremantle. I feel like they ride or die off of one guy. I've said it for all year long. And there's some teams that are all like that. I'm not saying that they're the only ones. Listen, if work for NKU tonight, plays poor and terrible, they're probably not going to win. Yep. If Sule Boom does not play well in the NCAA tournament, that's a guard-driven tournament. I have a hard time seeing them doing well in that tournament if Sule Boom does not play well. You know, I've heard a lot of chatter about uh, before Fremantle went out. You know, and you always talk about matchups in the NCAA tournament. Let's be honest about it, okay? There are some teams that you match up with, and, man, you really like the matchup. Right? For whatever the reason. Maybe you've got two big animals in the post and the other team is very small. Maybe your guard play is exceptional. The other team's is not. I mean, you could go into on and on and on and on. But it was interesting in hearing some of the, the Xavier folks talk about how, you know, three weeks ago, they thought that a team who uh, had a, a really big presence inside could give them some problems because Fremantle despite all his strengths as a scorer and a rebounder, is not a good defender and was recognized as not a good defender. And so, you know, a lot of people felt like that might be an issue. Now, people are wondering if they only have one post player and good guard play the other team. Now you get into a situation like they got into a Nunji a couple of times where he's their last big man, if you will. If he gets two or three fouls, two fouls in the first eight minutes of a game, this is where now they could be in some big trouble. Big trouble. Hunter's done a nice job, but if you got to start playing minutes, and I'm drawing a blank on the guy's name who would be taking over for him right now, but, you know, the, the matchup is going to be, I don't think it matters what they do here in the Big East tournament. I think they're going to be a four seed, five seed based on the body of work for the whole year. But who do you play? If not that first round game, certainly the second round game, because it would be a 4-5 matchup more than likely. And some of the bracketology things I've seen, countless ones, Joe Lenardi anyway, would have them in the same bracket paired up against, say, a TCU. Yeah. Right? Or, yeah, and there's a chance they get matched up with a, an Indiana possibly right. as well. It, it, 
those are the teams that they're looking at. But again, you, you still have these mid-major teams that are very, very good. When you get into that four and five range from a seed byline, um, you're going to play someone good both games regardless. Yep. And my thing with uh, Xavier's relatively simple and straightforward, I think, for the Big East tournament. If they win one game, I think they're a four seed. If they lose the first game, there's a chance they slide down to five, but they still might hang on to the four. Um, it all comes down to are they going to play in Columbus? Will they play in Orlando? Uh, at the end of the day, Xavier's put themselves in a position where at the beginning of the year, if you told that fan base that, hey, come tournament time, you're going to be a four or five seed, they would have they would have, you know, huh. called their wife and said, let's go out to dinner tonight. Better and get believe something. it. You know, I mean, that's and that's the that's the bad side of the tournament, too, Tom, is because you put all your eggs in this one basket that happens three weeks and it's so fickle. I mean, you could you could go from like like UCLA went to the final four. Tom, people forget this. They were in the play in game and their percent chance of beating Michigan State in the play in game in Dayton was like 10 percent at one right. point on the game cast. It's such a it's such a fickle minute time frame of a season well i mean look at north carolina last year exactly they were they were really not a heck of a lot different last year than they are this year they were better last year than they are this year the end result to your point was better last year uh they may not even make the tournament this year there's a very strong chance although i tell you i i look at that bracket in the atlantic coast conference and i say to myself if i'm north carolina i really like that half of the bracket that i'm in You've already beaten Virginia. You'd have to play them in a second round game. And then you're in the same half of the bracket as Clemson. You're staying away from Duke. You're staying away from uh, Miami. Miami yeah. uh, so, you know, and I'm not taking anything away from NC State and Clemson and some of these teams that are down there, Virginia certainly. Although I think everybody agrees of all the top 10 teams that have been ranked in the top 10 all year long, Virginia has a chance to be the biggest fraud of all of them. Uh, but, but that remains to be seen. All right. I'm going to throw it to the Ham and Eggers, um, and we are going to have uh, some conversation about the Kansas City Chiefs when we come back and these two major moves that they've made. Releasing Frank Clark, that's coming later today. They're not going to tag Orlando Brown when everybody and his brother said they were. And this is the team that for the last two years has been the Bengals' number one competition of either getting to the Super Bowl, right, or ending your season in an AFC championship game. So what does this mean for the Chiefs, and what does it mean for the Bengals? And then coming up at 11 o'clock, Bob Nightingale Jr. will join us from Goodyear, Arizona, to talk Reds baseball. No Tracy Jones, by the way, today. Don't know what's going on with the Tracer. And later in the show, we will walk through the quarterback carousel of some of these things going on now, and what's next Rich Eisen, a very interesting comment on the NFL Network yesterday about Tom Brady. So we'll get to all this and more coming up. Ham and Eggers, Mr. President, take the stage. It's that time of the show, the Ham and Eggers. These guys are great, trust me, I would know. I introduce all the best segments. Well, usually this part of the show is where we do all our advertisement. Are you your ad reads? Yeah, I mean, I can I, I think I can dig them up and I don't know if I'll ever do as good of a job as uh, as Paul does, but and I don't have the uh, the ad reads in front of me because I usually am not in the spot. But I do know one thing. If you don't drink Pawnee water, you're missing out because Pawnee water is uh, just off the top of my head. I've heard this enough to know it's limes natural limestone filtration, Casey. Right. Yeah. Have you ever heard of that? 
natural right, at, right here in Hamilton, Ohio. That's crazy. And uh, what I suggest you doing is just go to Pawnee. By the way, I've seen in the chat sometimes they think it's like P-O-N-T-E. No, it's P-A-H-H-N-I. Okay, let's get it right. P-A-H-H-N-I. In fact, if you, if you Google that um, and you don't look at the Google ads at the top of the screen, you actually go down to the real results, you will see that it is, um, I believe, the water in the Indian language. Yeah. And also... What? We're going to be talking about Bengals here coming up. The Bengals Report is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing modules to improve efficiency and productivity. Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins here. One quick thing. Uh... Christian Encarnacion Strand has been the talk of the town in Red's country because he is doing unbelievable things in spring training. He looks like he's going to be the next first baseman for the Cincinnati Reds when Joey Votto's time is up. I'm not trying to shift Joey Votto out of here because one thing I will say before we get into the uh, Christian Encarnacion Strand stuff is that I do think we as uh, the city should appreciate Joey Votto's last year take it all in for what it is. Unfortunately, he's not had the chance to, to really be in a lot of big, big moments for this franchise because they've not been good enough to put him in those moments. And like it or not, I know people will say he's not clutch and all that crazy stuff. But, you know, listen, when you only get 15 to 20 at-bats in quote-unquote clutch moments over your career, it's probably tough to, to say whether or not one, one is clutch or not. I know uh, we probably won't get into this too deep, Casey, but, you know, Imagine the idea, and Joe Burrow's probably a bad example. I don't know what the right example would be, but like towards the end of one's career, they've been here their whole entire let's professional just, yeah. career. What, what, let's what, use AJ. Um, AJ Green, right? Did you feel like you got a chance to appreciate AJ Green's final year, if you will? Or did I, it just kind of come and go? It came and went. And I don't feel like I fully ever appreciated it because of where the franchise was. Um, you know, the expectation of the team doing better with Joe Burrow also get, getting hurt. Like, there was a lot of, like, other focuses that I had, and I didn't appreciate that final season where, you know, it, it was, uh, you know, I, I wish I would have appreciated it a little right. bit more. I, well, the writing's on the wall for Joey. I mean, we, I think anyone that has uh, any intellect when it comes to baseball knows this is Vado's last year. And I would just say, let's hope that Encarnacion Strand has, a, has even half the career that maybe Joey's had. But I would also say try to enjoy Joey's last moments in the city. And he's started to try to do, I don't know whether you want to call it legacy building or what you want to call it, but he started to show a little different side of him that he's not shown throughout his whole entire career. And hopefully um, he continues to do that this year. And he has a decent year going out in a way. Because I think, as I said before, he could be the MVP of this league. And I don't think the Reds are going to pick up his option. So... No, well, Enjoy. you know, it would cost them twenty million to pick up the option. It would cost them seven million, which just blows my mind. You yeah. know, if you don't pick up the option, you got to pay him seven million dollars right. to walk out the door, and you just got finished paying him two hundred fifty million dollars. I mean, I, wherever you get that deal, man, I want that guy's my agent, yeah. whoever that is, so I can sit out across the table with Trace Fowler and talk about, hey, if you want to get rid of me. You'll be seven million. <laughs> That's a pretty good deal. Yeah, it's called leverage. 
Hey, now listen, we're going we're gonna, to, before we get to Bob Nightingale Jr., and I just got this confirmed a minute ago, we had a meeting yesterday, Trace and Casey and Reed and Paul and Sean, and, um, and we sat around and, and started talking about this show. And look, the next couple of weeks, you know, we've got the NCAA tournament coming up. We're going into baseball season, and things during baseball have a potential to get a little bit slow. Okay, and it depends on how the Reds are doing, of course, and who knows? Maybe they become the talk of the town. But we talked about the idea of trying to uh, expand beyond sports from time to time. Um, and, you know, that can come in, in a number of different ways. We, we flirted around, you know, Tracy Jones gives us something a little bit different. We flirted around with, uh, you know, what are you watching on Netflix uh, and, and things like that. And we'll continue to do those kinds of things. But it was almost like uh, uh, God at work last night, because after we have this conversation, and I'm going to tell the story very briefly, okay? But I just want to give everybody a heads up for what's coming up tomorrow, okay? Um, I've known a, a guy here in town named Dan Telkamp for years and years and years. He's a hardworking construction worker, um, does a lot of remodeling for homes and, and so on and so forth. Modest business, hardworking man, just like most of you. Um, he makes his home in Fairfax, which is very much a middle-class American neighborhood uh, here on the east side of Cincinnati. He got a phone call uh, that, um, that no parent ever wants to get. I shared with many of you last week, our daughter had to go to an emergency room in Fort Worth, Texas last week, and thank God, you know, she's okay. But when you get a phone call and you meet with a doctor who tells you that your not even 21-year-old daughter is diagnosed with ALS, there's no cure for ALS. I had a good friend in my neighborhood who was one of the greatest lacrosse players in the history of the sport at the University of North Carolina. Strong, athletic man, diagnosed about six years ago. His story told many, many times here in Greater Cincinnati named Graham Harden. And to watch what that disease does to somebody, um, you have to see it. And it's, it's devastating. Dan Kel Telkamp's daughter Samantha has ALS. This is a family that doesn't have a ton of money. And there are a lot of people that are trying to help. But when you get diagnosed with this, there are a lot of things that all of a sudden you have to do, whether it's to your house and making it wheelchair friendly. She's already in a, re in a wheelchair. This is, this is escalated so rapidly since getting diagnosed. Um, and, you know, you, you have to go get a van to be able to take them to the doctor and things like that. Um, money that comes out of your pocket, your own pocket that insurance doesn't cover, that starts to add up. And I ran into Dan last night and we're having a long conversation. His daughter was just featured in a beautiful story done on Channel 19 by Joe Daneman. Good man, Joe. Uh, and I asked Dan Telkamp, I said, look. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. I totally get it. But maybe by having your daughter and you on this show, 
that there's a chance that we could help raise some money. It's a GoFundMe account, and we'll give all this information tomorrow. But we're going to have Dan Telkamp and his daughter Sam on this program tomorrow. She was a great athlete, great lacrosse player at Marymount High School. Um, and a lot of people think Marymount High School, and you think, oh, Marymount, they got a lot of money out there. Oh, Terrace Park, that feeds into Marymount. A lot of money out there. True, true, true. Fairfax is a neighborhood that feeds into the Marymount School District where that is not the case in any form or fashion. So tomorrow we're going to have them on this show. And if any of you are able to help them, that's great. But if nothing else, the awareness of what this is like. Because for anyone who is a dad, um, to watch your child slowly start to die. I can't imagine a greater pain in the world. And that's what they're going through. And so if we can help them here on Off the Bench tomorrow in any form or fashion, if all of you could, could tell your friends, I mean, we'd love for you to tell your friends about this show and watching the show and sponsor the show and all those kinds of things. But that is nothing compared to us asking you to share with your friends, to watch tomorrow, or to download the podcast tomorrow, to see if we can't go out there and help this family. She is one of three kids, 21 or younger, in the entire state of Ohio that's been diagnosed with ALS. There's one in Columbus, and there's one in Youngstown. And there are fewer than 30 at that age in the United States of America, 30. And we're having one of those dads and one of those kids, she's still a kid, uh, on tomorrow. All right, we got, um, lost train of my thought here. Um, Bob Nightingale Jr. Uh, coming up. And everybody on the chat, thank you so much. Um, uh, right away, everybody from uh, AJ to Sir Boy Wonder to I Like Bacon to uh, Everett, everybody and you regulars here already uh, looking forward to uh, tomorrow. Me too. Me too. And, and, and Brian, thank you. Tom, you're a good man. This is nothing to do with me because I've known this guy a long time. And he is this rock solid, a regular down-to-earth guy uh, as you're ever going to meet in your life. And I was blessed just to hang out and talk to him for a long time last night. Um, I want to get back to, before we get Bob Nightingale Jr. on, because you guys are talking about this a little bit, with this Encarnacion Strand guy. You know, look, I've always said that minor leaguers, to quote my former broadcast partner in Major League Baseball World Series uh, winning manager Bob Brenly. That minor leaguers or guys out on rehab, he used to say all the time, they're like dead guys to me. Meaning they're not helping the major league club. Right? That's probably an analogy. A bad word after what we were just talking about. I'm sorry. But that was his... Um, it's what he used to say. He's like, they're not helping the major league club. I, I don't have time to think about them. I got to worry about the 25 guys I got on his team right now and trying to win a game at night. And the press is asking me about some guy at AAA and what his numbers are. 
So I was digging around a little bit after watching what this dude guy's doing in spring training. Every game he gets in, two hits, last night, home run. He's hitting almost 650. And then I looked up his numbers last year. Now, when you hear that name, I think the first thing you might think of is maybe a Latin player. Now, he obviously has Latin blood somewhere, but he's an American-born player, and he played collegiately at Oklahoma State. He's only 23 years old. After they drafted him, I think it was the fourth round, after they drafted him last year in 450 at-bats, this cat hits 35 home runs and knocks in 114 runs. Has 31 doubles, five triples. I mean, we'll ask Bob in a minute. Is this the kind of guy, he's playing first base right now, right? Is this the kind of guy you say, hey, start the year at AAA? If you're still hitting, you come up. But they've already boxed themselves into a corner a little bit at first base because of what they're doing with Tyler Stevenson. Right? You got Votto at first, and you've decided maybe against some lefties or whatever it might be, you've gone on record. David Bell is saying when Votto's not playing first, Stevenson's going to get a lot of playing time at first. Does that stunt what this guy might have a chance to do? Yeah, and I mean, you always have the service time question, the, manip- yep. the manipulation of the service time, whether or not you'd want to do that or not want to do that. Really quickly, Bryce Spalding, who's been on uh, Chatterbox Reds, had a tweet that Reed had brought to my attention. Um, he said, players since 2010 have a higher minor league WRC plus than Ken- uh, Christian Encarnacion Strand. Here goes the list. You ready for the guys that have the same exact minor league WRC plus? Kyle Schwarber. Huh. From Middletown, Ohio. That's right. Set you up for that, Tom. Thank Ready? you. Bryant, Brandon Belt, Hosmer, Conforto, uh, Guerrero Jr., Paul <laughs> Goldschmidt, Pete Alonzo, Andrew Benatendi, Mike Trout, Joey Gallo, Wander Franco. <laughs> I mean, good players. So my point is, is that he's, those he's, guys he's, are playing in the WBC next yeah, week. Yeah, he's, he's, he's in it. Now listen, as you said before, he's still in the minor leagues. It's hard to it's hard to hundred percent guarantee something. But when your name is upon a list like that, Reese Hoskins, I mean there's there's Joey Gallo. I don't know if I even said these guys' names. There's, there's so many of these names, and I'll put this tweet out later today. I'll retweet it. Um it's it's exciting. But right before uh, Nightingale comes on here, I'm gonna jump out of here for a quick second and jump into a meeting and then I'll be right back in here. Okay. But but um but at least the one good thing about the Reds is this. The guys that you were hoping that were going to start showing some type of promise have done that. Now, what that exactly means long-term, you don't really know. But at least if you're, if, if you're, if you're pessimistic right now in spring training, then I would just ask the question, just, just don't watch the team for a while and come back later. Then. Yeah. Because if you can't get excited for what you've seen so far in spring training, then what's the point? Now, my understanding is he's a third baseman by trade. Yeah, but I think his defense is pretty suspect okay. at best. So okay. I, 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 I uh, we'll let we'll let Bob. Bobby's ready to roll, so we'll let him. Uh, we'll let him give his opinion maybe on the defensive side of things. I think that I don't know if I don't know if that's the that's the thing many people are hanging their hat on when it comes to Encarnacion Strand. All right, well, let's go to Bobby Nightingale Jr. He covers the Reds and has for a number of years. Extraordinarily well for Cincinnati.com. He's out in Goodyear, Arizona. Follows a team each and every day all through the spring training and the regular season. Bobby, good morning. You're not standing outside in the wind and the rain and all the other sort of stuff. I'm hoping it's nice out there in AZ right now. 
Finally, yeah, it's finally getting closer to the 70s. I think <clears throat> I think it's 80s next week, so uh, finally, like, true spring training weather versus what it's been so far. Um, we were just having uh, an extended conversation about uh, Christian Encarnacion Strand. Okay, now everybody knows, you, you got to say it, but everybody knows it's a spring training. But the guy's 23. He was a college player at a big-time program at Oklahoma State. He's not going to cover off the ball coming off an extraordinary minor league season a year ago. What are his chances of making this team? Better than they were, you know, a week and a half ago. But I'd still put him kind of just a little bit. I mean, he's only played maybe two months above A ball. I mean, there's some expectations that it's it's been great to see him swing the bat the way he is. That's kind of his scouting report. I mean, everywhere he's been, he's hit in college, in the minor leagues. Um, that's always been, you know, a bat first guy. He hit 30 homers last year with, I think, like 120-some RBIs, which were top five in all of the minor leagues. So, I mean, this is his scouting report. He can hit. Um, and he's proven he can do that against, you know, higher quality pitching. He's impressed with kind of his approach at the plate. Um, even in two strikes, he changes his swing, shortens up, and um, able to get hits that way. So you can tell, I mean, he's, he's a smart hitter. Um, but it's one of those, he doesn't have like a clear path to playing time. Um, I think that's probably the biggest difference when I hear people say like Jonathan India, he came out of kind of a non-roster invitee, came out of minor league camp and pushed his way to the starting lineup. But that was a little bit different because the Reds didn't have a shortstop at the time. They ended up moving a Eugenio Suarez there that opened up second base, um, which created the spot. Whereas there's not really that big of a hole in the infield. They're testing him out at first base, a position he hasn't played a ton. So I, I went, I'm not expecting him to make the opening day roster at this point, but I think he's at least deserved to be in the conversation, which you know is a little bit unexpected for a guy who, again, has only played two months above A-ball. Um, does his long-term position, now he's listed when you go just look him up on the internet, he's listed as a third baseman, but he's been playing primarily at first base in the games he's played so far in spring training. Does first base appear to be his long-term position? I think that's probably what they're planning on. I mean, it's just based off all the shortstop prospects they have, I think they're looking at it. If you look long-term, they should have better athletes uh, able to slide over to third base. You know, like Spencer Steer, he's going to get the first crack at it this year. I'd put him as a better defender at third base than in Carnarcion Strand. So I think first base, especially, you know, it's the last guaranteed year of Joey Votto's contracts. Um, you have to start thinking about guys that could fit over there. And he, he certainly has the bat to play first base, which not a lot of guys do. Um, has the power to play there every day. You know, that's that's an interesting thing, uh, Bobby, that a lot of uh, a, a lot of us maybe don't necessarily think about is that, you know, when you look at, and you made reference to the India thing and moving Suarez and that kind of thing, the Reds have already committed uh, that Stevenson is going to be used a lot at DH and at first base and not just exclusively behind the plate. You start connecting dots and you say to yourself, and of course everything can change, but you say to yourself, okay, Votto, last year of his deal, he probably leaves at the end of the season. So now looking ahead to first base in that position, um, does a guy like Encarnacion Strand become the victim of, of, of now all of a sudden? And look, we don't know if this guy's going to be a good major league player. You know, like you just said, he's barely played above single A. But these are the things that people are paid a lot of money to start thinking about well ahead of time. You know, does he get stunted behind – Stevenson getting a lot of playing time at first or is he a guy maybe you just look at and say you know what heck with third heck with first this guy can hit and he's going to be the DH 
I, I think it's probably more likely Stevenson would be your more regular DH than um, Encarnacion Strand, just based off the fact. I mean, Stevenson, long term, they still see him as a catcher. I think this year is more about, one, our lineup isn't going to produce a ton of runs, at least on paper. So if you get Tyler Stevenson's name in the lineup, that'll that's one way to fix it. And two, I mean, he, he, he did miss a ton of time last year. Uh, that's a lot of at-bats. I mean, he, he's still a young guy, but missing 300, 400 at-bats that he could have had last year. You want him to get those back. Um, so I still think long-term they still see Stevenson as a guy, okay, we want him to be catching 90 games instead of I think their goal is around 65 this year. I, I think they're still comfortable doing that. I, I think it's just one of those kind of circumstances are pushing him more towards DH and first base. But I, I, I don't think long-term they see Tyler Stevenson as, okay, he has to play first base unless something happens where, like, he gets a concussion. Obviously that'll change kind of all the plans at, behind the plate. Um, but but they're still confident in him as their starting catcher. Well, the guy who's gotten more pub than anybody as far as the young players are concerned is De La Cruz. And the other day, you know, he turns around a 100-mile-per-hour fastball from, of all people, Aroldis Chapman, uh, as a right-handed batter, triples, comes up later in the game as a left-handed batter, homers. I know you've been writing about him quite a bit here lately. Um, you know, what are people saying about this guy? As advertised, don't get too excited yet. Let's wait and see. What's realistic for him to start the year? Minor leagues, probably? Yeah, I think it's almost certainly the minor leagues. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think he's done enough to say, like, he's not consistent enough defensively. You can tell that in drills where it's like, okay, this guy has to be your starting shortstop. The tools are all there. I mean, he's definitely he's, – if he's not the fastest guy on the team, he's top two or three. Um, might have the most power on the team. His arm's probably the strongest or top two or three on the team. So, I mean, he stands out in so many different ways. Um, all the tools are there, but you can just tell, like, consistency-wise, I, I think there's another level he needs to get to. Um, you know, you, you can make 30 errors in the minor leagues. If you do that in the majors, that's killing your pitchers. That's – you know, there's a lot more at stake. So, I think that's the biggest thing is, one, he has to cut down on – you know, become a little bit more consistent defensively. I mean, he, he could be a great defender. It's just a little bit of consistency um, that you can tell. I mean, he's only 21, so that'll come with time. Um, but, I mean, hearing other people talk about him, I mean, he's kind of like one of one. No one wants to put him in a box. No one wants to put a ceiling on it. Um, you even talk to scouts. I mean, it's hard to find scouts that even want to, you know, try to nitpick him. Um, and I know there's a lot made of, like, his strikeout rate, and that's an area that he has to cut down on. But you also have to remember, I mean, that last year was his first full year in the minor leagues, and he ended up, you know, player of the month in double-A his first month there, youngest player in the league. Um, so he's doing a lot of things that, you know, are kind of unheard of. I mean, no one's really gone from playing in the Dominican Summer League to double-A as quickly as he has. Um, so I, I don't think anyone wants to put a cap on his potential. I, I just think it's going to be tough for him to make the opening day roster. I, you know, I, that door's probably close to closed. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, if he has a good start to the year, I wouldn't be shocked if early in the season, uh, May or June, you know, his name comes up a lot more, too. Um, Votto and Senzel. I, I mean, I read your stuff every single day. Uh, you're all over it. Uh, I know they, they, they said initially when spring training started, uh, David Bell, uh, paraphrasing, basically said that, uh, you know, hey, look, Votto will let him know when he's ready to go to start playing in games. Are you getting any kind of vibe or feel on that? Not yet. I mean, you can tell he's not a hundred. You know, the, the Joey Votto, a hundred percent. He's he's swinging all right, um, throwing. You can tell. You know, a little bit of limitations there. Um, but there's so many things that he, he feels like he has to be able to do before he's playing in games. 
Um, you know, like getting jammed on a pitch, check swings, that type of thing with shoulder coming off shoulder surgery that I, I think not that he's scared to do, but just things he hasn't done yet dove on it um, in drills. So, I mean, I think he's getting there. I just think, I, 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 don't, I don't think opening day to him is the, you know, the end all be all. If, if he misses a couple of weeks, I mean, has to stay in Arizona and extended spring training and then feels 100% in late April. I think he's 100% comfortable doing that because, you know, he's coming off a year where he didn't perform. And I think he knows in his mind, you know, if he wants to continue his career, um, entering the last year, guaranteed year of his contract, he has to perform. Um, and so I think that's something in his mind. Okay, if I'm healthy, he's really confident he'll play well if he's healthy and has a good a full season. Um, but I, I think he's kind of learned, okay, I can't push it just because the schedule says opening day starts in three weeks. Um, so I, I, I don't expect him to be ready for opening day. Um, but you, you can tell he's, he's progressed, I mean, from the start of the spring. All right, walk me through before we let you go because I know you're busy. Uh, we know about uh, basically the top three starters in the rotation with in no particular order, Green, Lodolo, Ashcraft. Um, after that, Chase Anderson, guy I've been around a block. He throws a couple of scoreless innings yesterday. He's 35. Anderson's had a nice career. He's had a really nice career. Would he be in the mix? And who else is in the mix for the final couple of spots in this rotation that we can start keeping an eye on the rest of the spring? I, th I think Luke Weaver is probably your number four starter, guy they brought in on a, a one-year contract. Well, you wrote a just great piece on him, by the way. Great piece on him. It, it, thanks. And it's just one of those, like, you, you can tell the way the coaches talk about him, the way he kind of feels comfortable, the, you know, getting used to things, trying out different pitches. It's, it's just different than a guy competing for a spot. You can almost tell, like, okay, he's got to edge up. And then the number five, I think Luis Sessa or Brandon Williamson, I think those are probably your top two candidates for that one. Um, maybe Connor Overton, he's, he's had some struggles in spring training games, but had some success last year. Those, those are probably three guys. Chase Anderson looked good yesterday. He's just in minor league camp, um, is, isn't with the big leaguers. Not that he can't move over if he continues to have success, but um, I, th I think he's probably more of a guy that starts in the minor leagues and is more starting depth behind that. Um, or even in, in the bullpen um, could be a guy they look at the turning into a reliever and bringing him up that way. But um, I, I would I'd put Sessa and Williamson are probably the two that I'd watch closely from here on out. Okay, actually, I lied to you. W one last thing. I'm just kind of curious. Uh, nobody's picking the Reds to be any good. That doesn't mean they won't be any good. Um, Trying to think of how to ask this correctly. Um, do you think that they will be open to the idea? And whether it's Encarnacion Strand, whether it's De La Cruz, and you know, neither one of those guys are in that boat yet where Chris Bryant was a few years ago about, you know, you want him to go to the minor leagues and get, you know, avoid the service time and the clock starting, blah, blah, blah. Do you think the Reds are going to be open minded to bringing up young players this year, whereas maybe they have not been in the past? Yeah, I, I definitely do think, think so. I mean, it's one of those, if, if you really wanted to play service time games, I think they would have done it with Hunter Green last year, and he was on the opening day roster. I mean, he was a guy who, he's pitched, I think, a fewer than 100 minor league innings in his career uh, going to last year. Nick Lodolo, same thing. I mean, he had an injury-filled 2021 season, I think, through less than 50 innings, and then ended up in the opening day rotation. So, I mean, with those two guys, they were both the first pitchers taken in their draft classes, top 10 picks. I mean, if you really wanted to play service time games, you could have done it there. Jonathan India was on the opening day lineup. Um, Alexis Diaz, another guy. So I, I, I don't think they, that's really a consideration. I think they look at it as 
you know, if these guys come up, we want them to stay up. Um, you know, you, you kind of see like Jose Barrero, I think is kind of not a cautionary tale, but if you push a guy too hard too early um, and then has the ups and downs, you, you don't want to kill his confidence that way. So I think that's the more of the concern versus, you know, worrying about service time games because I, I do think they want to be viewed as a contender as early as um, if they're not next year, 2025 at the latest. But I, I think they're looking at next year as a year if the starting pitchers can take a step forward is, okay, we, this 2024 season should be a team, should be a year where the Reds feel like they're, they're more of a contender. All right. Bobby, we uh, thank you so much for your uh, generous time and expertise and uh, enjoy the sunshine out there in Arizona. We'll catch up with you sometime soon. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. All right. Bobby Nightingale Jr. He's all over the Red Legs 24-7. 24-7. Big leaguer Bobby Nightingale Jr. Love his dad. Big leaguer. Uh, as well. Uh, people always say that about me. You know, I get off a show like that and they're like, God, Tom Brennan, oh, I love his dad. But Bobby's dad's, a, I mean, he's an awesome writer. He's been the lead Major League Baseball writer for USA Today forever. Uh, and, I mean, he's as dialed in with people around Major League Baseball as there is out there. All right. Uh, so we got a little Reds in the mix. We covered some Northern Kentucky. They've got the big game tonight, taking on Cleveland State. Uh, the Joe Mixon thing, we've not heard any further updates on that. I doubt we will while this show is going on until noon Eastern time today. Um, good morning to USA veteran retired. Thank you for your service. Um, now we get to the Bengals. And not Joe Mixon. Although they have a decision to make about Mixon here sometime soon. We talked about it yesterday. If they cut him between now and, and May the 31st, you save $7 million. You cut him on June the 1st or after, you save $10 million on the cap. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. But let's talk about the Kansas City Chiefs. Because we have, we have discussed a lot on this program since the Chiefs beat the Bengals in the championship game, the Chiefs win the Super Bowl pretty handily, quite honestly, against the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, and them being sort of like the model of how the Bengals should build their team. Great offensive line. Protect the quarterback. Don't necessarily have to have major stars uh, at your skill positions, they certainly have one in Kelsey, best tight end in the NFL, one of the best of all time. But last year, they did not have a wide receiver that is in the same galaxy as Jamar Chase or T. Higgins. In fact, you can make an argument they didn't have a receiver that was better than Tyler Boyd. You know, they bring in Tony, a former number one pick. He does some things in the, in the receiving game, does a lot of big things in the punt return game. We know that. So does Philadelphia. Uh, Smith-Schuster, I've always loved him as a player. Um, I know a lot of people don't like him because of his days with the Steelers. But the guy's a gamer, and he's a player. Uh, and they bring him in. He did a nice job. But now, all of a sudden, the Kansas City Chiefs, and they still have time to sign Orlando Brown, they're starting left tackle. Started his career, of course, in Baltimore. Comes to Kansas City. Pro bowler. Every year he's been with the Chiefs except for one year. Considered by many one of the top two or three left tackles in the game. 
They're not going to franchise tag him, which everybody thought they would. So it's possible he walks out the door. Is that a done deal yet? No. Then there's Frank Clark. Now, at one time, Clark was considered to be one of the premier pass rushers in the NFL. He's still a good one, and he's especially good in the postseason. He is the all-time leading sacker among all players that are active in the NFL right now in the postseason. He has more sacks than anybody in the NFL in the postseason that's an active player today. So they had Chris Jones, Dunlap gave him a little bit, Clark gave him a little bit. They had three guys that could cause some major problems for you if you didn't block them right. Now all of a sudden there's a chance he's walking out the door. Well, he is walking out the door. They're cutting So if that's the Bengals' primary competition, I want to ask a couple of questions, Casey. Okay. All right, let's start number one. Is this now the model again if you can't keep guys around because of the money you're paying? I mean, is it because they don't want to pay Orlando Brown $20 million a year? They're already paying him $20 million a year. He might go up to $23 million a year if he were tagged. If you're working out a long-term deal, that's what he expects to be getting. So let's start with him. That's a huge hit unless you plan on replacing him with somebody who you think is just as good. Yeah, I would, uh, I would say that I, I expected them to tag. I didn't think that it would get to this point where he's going to walk. It's a huge piece missing from an offensive line. And you could argue that um, if you looked at the Bengals last year, they were pretty much in the same boat that Kansas City will be in this following season if they don't re-sign someone. Or if they don't re-sign uh, Orlando Brown Jr., excuse me. Because their right tackle isn't the greatest, Wiley. He, he's average to below average, which I would consider that to be like a Jonah Williams type. And then you got a guy that is unknown at your left tackle spot that you don't know what's going to be there. And more than likely... The idea is to either get a guy much cheaper in free agency, which you're competing with a lot of different teams in that, at that point. Including the Bengals, perhaps. Yeah, including the Bengals. Or you're looking at the draft, which if there's anyone, and I can guarantee you this, if there's anyone that falls to the Chiefs, the Bengals would have probably picked them at that spot. So... That's a peculiar spot that the Chiefs are in right now. Um, the difference between twenty million and twenty-three million seems insignificant to me, uh, especially for your starting left tackle. But you know, I'm I'm in the business of keeping mother bleepers, and he's a mother bleeper. I just in, wonder, and I don't know. We'll get somebody on from Kansas City here in the next day or two. But it makes me wonder, you let Tyreek Hill walk out the door, you let potentially, and it's not a done deal yet. Let me make sure that I clarify that if I haven't already. All they've said is they're not going to franchise tag Orlando Brown. 
They did say they're trying to work on a long-term contract. So that's not a done deal. The Clark thing is a done deal. They're letting him go. Uh, and maybe he'd come back for less. I don't know. But it makes me wonder, Trace, you know, is this now sort of a foreshadowing of what happens when you have to start spending the big bucks on the quarterback and the tight end? Because the Bengals are staring straight down the barrel with contracts for Burrow, potentially Higgins, potentially Chase. You can't keep them all, right? That's the beauty of the NFL. That's why they it have. A, that's why they have a very good league, and you know, it makes it interesting because otherwise you'd be able to pay all these guys, and it would always, you know, be be who who has the most money, just like Major League Baseball. But fortunately, we they have a great league. So with that said, I think that they're starting to show their hand what they believe in the Kansas City Chiefs. They, they believe in trying to part ways with guys before they really get into a situation where their value doesn't correlate with the amount of money they get paid. So how many more years is Brown going to be as good as he once was? I don't know. But clearly there's this thought in Kansas City that they have to make moves regardless. So maybe they think they they feel like they have somebody that, that – that I don't want to say nobody knows about, but they know about that they think they can slide in, right? Um, I call him Pikachu. I know his name's not Pikachu, but the guy that the, the the running back they have, he's a good back. They got him late in the draft. Yep. You know, I don't. I don't. Seventh even, round, I think. Right? I mean, at the end of the day, does it really matter? I think that's what they they've gotten themselves into a position where, similar to what I've said about Joe Burrow, I know Joe Burrow's had talent around him his whole career. But the more and more I watch him, I'm not sure if it matters a significant amount to where do you want to spend a ton of money on a, on, on a secondary or third receiver when you can go out and get some guy for league minimum and he might do just as well, perhaps. But it is a weird spot to be in for the Bengals because if you, when you try to compare the two franchises, the Chiefs have won. They won the Super Bowl, so at this point, it's almost like you know when you're at the casino and you're playing with house money, you, you play different. I almost feel like that's where they're at. They've won the Super Bowl a few times. They're not really worried about whether they win. Yeah, of course, they want to win, but I think they are a little more loose. They feel like they can make guys, they can cut guys. Oh, we don't, we don't care. We're gonna, we're gonna win anyways. To where the Bengals are in a spot where it's like, as we all know, they have not won, and it feels like we gotta win in the next few years while we got these guys. Yep. It's where they might not be willing to cut guys as easily as the Chiefs have. You know, you bring up an interesting point because when the Patriots all those years had Brady, like the Chiefs have Mahomes, right. that's basically what they did. I mean, they'd cut guys loose, and you'd be sitting there saying to yourself, you got to be kidding me. And then all of a sudden, somebody else stepped in there, somebody else stepped in there, and because they had Brady, uh, they just kept on winning. They, they didn't have many draft picks. And when they did draft, they didn't draft very well. But they still had Brady. Well, the Chiefs still have Mahomes. And so, you know, you might be onto something there. Uh, maybe they feel like what you just said. Maybe they feel like, hey, you know, we can let this guy go. Let that guy go. We feel good about this guy coming in. Maybe nobody's ever heard of this guy. We like our chances in the draft on this guy, that guy, whatever it might be. And we still got Mahomes. And we still got Kelsey. 
And their defense wasn't great last year, but it was better than when they won the Super Bowl the two years before that and got beat by the Bengals last year in the AFC Championship game two years ago. So, you know, they've gotten younger on defense. Uh, They're apparently going to get a lot younger now by cutting Clark loose. I don't know what Dunlap's situation is. They got Jones locked up on a deal. But if I'm the Bengals, I have to feel at least a little bit better knowing that, yes, we have our own issues that we've got to address, no question, and a lot of them are on that offensive line. But to think if you were to line up and play the Kansas City Chiefs again in an AFC championship game, and they didn't have Orlando Brown, and they didn't have Frank Clark, you got beat at the field goal at the buzzer. I think you'd like your chances a little more than when they have Brown and Clark. Agreed? I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I really do think the uh, Orlando Brown thing is going to be huge if they can't re-sign him. Uh, they might be arrogant enough to think that they can replace him, but you take one piece out of the puzzle on an offensive line, and it all starts to look a lot worse. And that goes for just about any position group that requires everyone to be in sync. Um, and Frank Clark, whether we think he's great in the uh, regular season or not, like you said, he leads the league in playoff sacks. He comes to play when it matters most. I know another guy, the Bengals, are going to be losing this offseason. His name is Jesse Bates, who always just seemed to be about average during the regular season and turn it on during the playoffs. I mean, that's a huge piece missing too for the Kansas City Chiefs. So it's they're they're not just gonna roll into the next year with the same championship team, obviously, but everyone's got their issues and um, it's gonna be tough for them to figure it out, and maybe the Bengals can take advantage of that. Would you consider and basically Duke Tobin Last week of the Combine said, you know, look, we want T. Higgins around here for a long time. You got the draft coming up in April. And you still got Higgins on his rookie deal. So you don't have to tag him. You don't have to do anything with him. You don't have to sign him with a long-term deal. You can just ride out the year and you got Higgins and Chase and Boyd and all the Stallions back there and see if he can't win the whole thing. Would you consider packaging up Higgins moving up way in the draft? where you could replace him, theoretically replace him, with, say, a Smith and Jigba, somebody like that, and get some players in return, would you consider doing that this year before Mm. the draft? No, we talked about this on Box Lunch as just a hypothetical, and we had fun with it for a minute, and we said it was basically, you know, sports talk to a certain extent. But I think we came to the conclusion it would require two first-round picks which isn't going to happen. But you'd have to get, in my opinion, two first-round picks to get rid of a guy like T because there's other variables that we don't want to talk about in this room to where, you know, analytics are one thing. You could look at you could look at stats and all that as one thing. But listen, I'm being dead serious when I say this. There's something special about the way the Bengals wide receiver core like each other. I mean, that's important. And you they're unselfish. Yeah, that's my main point. Is like you can't have guys that get upset 
yep. and screaming at the quarterback or yelling at Joe. Stephon because, Diggs. Yeah, my, the, exactly. There's no Stephon Diggs. There's no Terrell Owens of the world. And those were great players. But my main point is, is that I think a lot of the success the Cincinnati Bengals have had is the locker room that they have inside there and the camaraderie that they have and the belief system they have in each other. And when you take pieces out of that, it gets it can get nasty. I think it can get nasty when they trade one of their friends. You can say whatever you want, but it's one thing not being able to get a deal done because of business. You want to call it business at mm-hmm. the end of a deal with Jamar or T or Tyler. They're definitely going to sign Joe, so I'm not even going to say Joe. But when you trade a guy when you don't have to, I would like to think those are human beings in the locker room, and it will affect how they feel about the franchise if they get rid of them when they've already proven as a unit they've got you to the highest levels. Yep. So I don't think you can trade them unless you're getting something ridiculous. To your point, no one's off the limits, but it would be something that would be so you know so asinine that it'll never happen. Right. And again, you've got Tiggins. A lot of people, I think, feel like, um, you know, this is something that has to get done now. It's a lot like the Burrow thing. They don't have to get it done right now. They can wait till next year. He's still on the final year of his rookie deal, but based on X number of snaps and games and, you know, so forth criteria, he is uh, eligible to have uh, an extension negotiated now, as is Higgins. But you still have them both on their rookie deal. So why not roll the dice, keep them all? Um, you're going to keep Burrow for the long haul anyway, but keep Higgins around. Um, they don't have to tag him, nothing like that. Uh, they're not in that situation. And so, um, you know, look, you, you were – you were three or four plays away from winning the Super Bowl with this bunch two years ago. You talk about the chemistry, great point. You were two or three plays away from getting back to the Super Bowl with that bunch again this year. You know there are going to be some changes coming, especially on the defensive side of the ball, not much on the offensive side. In fact, I don't think they have to lose a single player on the offensive side or have a need to sign a player on the offensive side to a long-term contract. Now, you might have to make decisions on mixing what you're going to do with him. You do have to bring P. Ryan back if you think you want to bring him back. Uh, and, you know, what are you going to do with Lyle Collins um, if he's able to come back and, you know, uh, from the ACL, suffered very late in the year. Um, but outside of that, defense is where all the question marks are. Um, Von Bell, free agent. Jesse Bates, free agent. Jermaine Pratt, free agent. So th- those are the areas where – you look at their team, and you're having to navigate, you know, all these sorts of things about not only this year, but next year, next year. A lot of people feel like the Bengals should just go out and sign basically an all-star team to a one-year contract. Let them all be free agents again next year. Right? Go get Jalen Ramsey. Go get Bobby Wagner. Go get whoever you want to get. Right? Resign Von Bell. And roll the dice on one year. I don't know. That's a hard. I, I get it. Because if you win it all, then you won it all. Then you you're won good. it all. You're good. Problem is, if it doesn't work out, you, you were in such a good spot, as Casey's getting ready to point out, that to ruin all that, to ruin all the hard work of where you've put yourself in as a franchise for just a one, one, let's go get it, boys, like the Eagles did. And it didn't work out for the Eagles. 
then it's a tough spot to be. But what's your what's your thought on uh, both of your thoughts on on the fact that you know Bates is likely gone? Is he worth the money he's asking or not? I don't watch. I, I don't watch. No it up chance. To no chance. No way. Good, solid player, and at times has been a great player in this league. Model citizen, good team guy. Nothing but great things to say about Jesse Bates. And he has played, Casey, as you pointed out earlier, in big games. He seems to show up, especially in the postseason two years ago. Again this year, he was a little better in the regular season this year than he was last year. But, I, you know, I, and I, I could prove, I could be proven to be dead wrong. I, I mean, he thought a year ago when the Bengals offered him a $17 million a year deal for multiple years. He thought that he was going to pretty much reset uh, the gold standard at the safety position by becoming a free agent. And he got paid big money last year um, because they tagged him. Now he's a straight free agent. He's going to go test the waters. There have been some that wonder, hey, if he doesn't get what he thought he was going to get, would he consider, because he very much likes playing here, he loves playing for the Bengals. He loves the culture. He loves the staff. He loves his teammates. He loves the town. It's the only franchise he's ever known. There are some that feel like would the Bengals go back to Bates and say, hey, you know, that deal's still on the table. But at that kind of money, if you do that, you know Von Bell's gone. If you do that, you got no chance to bring Pratt back. Right? Yeah, if you do that, that, it's going to force some other decisions by paying a safety $17, $18 million a year. Well, you can thank the Steelers for where Jesse Bates heads is at. I mean, they signed Minka Fitzpatrick to a big deal. And when you look around the league, like it or not, these guys have egos, and they also feel like, listen, if I'm just as good as this guy who got paid in Pittsburgh, you you got to pay me. So I don't blame Jesse for feeling the way he feels. Yep. However, to your point that you made just a few short, maybe days ago or a week ago, how much is enough? I mean, what, what, I, I know it's easy for us people up here to say you pass on $2 million, but I mean, I'd rather be in a situation where I know I like the people I like and I'm, I'm winning for 17 versus 20. But again, I know that's, that's easy for me to sit here and say, you just pass on $3 million, but He's not won that. He's not won yet either. Like, that's the other thing. If they won the Super Bowl, it's like, okay, you won the Super Bowl. Go go, go take your trip to Disney World and get paid. But that's not what happened. You're right. I mean, uh, winning a Super Bowl, not getting to a Super Bowl, changes the perception of everything with a franchise. If the Bengals win one, all of the stuff that people have said about the Bengals, written about the Bengals, does it make it disappear? No. But it changes the entire perception of the football world nationally, how people look at your organization. It does. It cha- and that trickles down to your point about your players who then play great, good enough to win a Super Bowl, and now they go out on the free agent market, and chances are they get paid by somebody. Big, big, big money. I don't know if Bates is going to be that guy. But another guy who is a hit in the locker room. That's why you can't let both Bates and Bell walk out the door. Right? Lou Anarumo said that if Bates and Bell both leave, it'd be very, very, very dark place. Yeah, dark day. 
dark day is what he said. I'm sorry. Yeah. But, but, you know, who knows? It's hard. It's hard to know because at the end of the day in the NFL, the truth is if you got a quarterback at the position, they can mask a lot of things. The Bengals have that. And now it's a, it's a matter of the guys that we've given a lot of credit to, whether it be Duke Tobin or whether it be Zach or whether it be even Lou Anarumo, um, it's time for them to earn their keep, if you will, because they got some tough decisions to make. They're going to have to make them. And at the end of the day, I think the Bengals need one thing and one thing only to happen. They got to get a diamond in the rough on the line in one of these drafts. They got to draft a guy in the fifth or sixth or seventh round one of these times that ends up being a starting tackle. Well, or, they got it in Wilson last year. They did. But, and I am not out on Jackson Carmen. I don't know if you I'm guys not are either. either. I'm not I mean, either I'm at being all. serious. I mean, there's one thing, there's something to be said about putting a guy at his natural position and letting him do what he's always done. When you start shifting guys around, I've said it before. I don't know if you believe in this. I'm going to ask you, Tom. Do you think it's similar to saying, like, Eugenio Suarez, go play shortstop? Do you think that's a fair comparison or not? Well, I mean, I think it's always a fair comparison if, if exactly what you're talking about. Jackson Carmen, I'm betting here, going back to Fairfield High School, that the, he's only played left tackle, right? He was the biggest, strongest kid at Fairfield High School, right? And that's where he played. Right. Okay, he goes to Clemson. One of the top three or four programs in all of college football. They got Trevor Lawrence, at quarterback. They're winning national championships. Who's the left tackle? Jackson Carmen. So now you bring him into the NFL. Now, in fairness, he got heavy. He wasn't ready to compete for a starting job. They gave him a chance to compete for a starting job, and he didn't do very well. But that was at a different position. Last year, in the, what, two or three games he played at enough tackle? By all accounts, played pretty well. But they're not going to move Jonah Williams. They've already said that. So Williams is going to be the left tackle. So, I mean, you know, you heard Botch say yesterday, night and day, the difference between trying to be a tackle and trying to be a guard. And Carmen proved that. But could he go play right tackle? And this is a question we've asked on this show many, many, many times. And you heard Botch rave about Dewan Jones. I mean, he thinks this guy is going to be a big-time player. He went back and looked at all the video, including the Georgia game. Yep. And he said, every time Jalen Carter's lined up over DeWan Jones, he's not getting near C.J. Stroud. Went to the other side to Paris Johnson Jr., Cincinnati kid as well, Princeton High School, Ohio State Buckeye left tackle, who everybody believes top 10, top 11 pick. According to Vach, you look at the tape, he thinks Jones is going to be a monster. But here's my question, and we've asked this on the show before. If DeWan Jones is sitting there with a 28th pick in the draft, do you feel better about DeWan Jones stepping in there to play right tackle as a rookie in the National Football League? Which, if your answer is yes, you might be right. Or do you feel better about a third-year player in Jackson Carmen being your right tackle? What do you think? I have not watched enough Bengals football to know, but I will say that I think that Jackson Carmen impressed – he impressed the hell out of me in the few games that he got to play last year. It was two. Played in the Buffalo game, played in Kansas City. He was not the issue. He was not the issue. And I know that Reed in the chat right now and, and many Bengal fans probably don't want to hang their hat on him, but to your point, 
I think I'd rather hang my hat on a guy that's been in big games and, and has played relatively well, mm -hmm. and he's been a system for three years. He's probably, if, if he dedicates himself, is going to be in a much better position than a guy coming out of college to play for the first time. And maybe unless you get some special, super special player out of the draft, that they might be better than Jackson, but I'm not sure they will. Win in case. Um, here's my thought. Vach went off now on our, our man, Dewan Jones. Yeah, and... 6'9", yeah. 350. Yeah, he's huge. He's and huge. I, I was made fun of, I think, on Box Lunch for saying that I wanted Dewan Jones at 28. But, regardless, I think if he falls there at 28, it's a no-brainer to me. Because he is a high-floor, high-ceiling type of guy. And, like I said before about the, the scheme that the Bengals run and what Lael Collins was asked to do, I think day one, Dewan Jones steps in and does exactly what Lael Collins did. And if, you're, if I'm getting that, I'm okay with cutting Collins, right? Sure. So that solves that issue. And it's not even, to me, the Jackson Carmen thing, switching him to right tackle, we're forgetting that Jonah Williams might not even be ready. He's still going to be recovering from knee surgery. We don't know if he's going to be anywhere near like he was when he, he was Well, he bad. was a trash bag regardless, Exactly. Right? Like, he might be even worse. Turnstile! So why would, we, why would we take someone that we think might be an answer at left tackle and move him to right tackle out of position? And it's, regardless what people think, going from left to right is a whole different ballgame. It ball is. Game. You're right. You got to change up the way that you do your sets. It's a whole mental shift. And you've already seen that he's got some life at the left tackle spot. Yes. And when you had him at right guard, he looked awful. Yep. So why would you even think about putting him on the right tackle side? That's just my thought on that. So if you're almost drafting, you're saying, Jones as a quote-unquote potential starter day one at right tackle. If Jonah's healthy, he's at left tackle. And... Him and Carmen duke it out for the starter. The other guy's a swing guy. Yep. That's what I would do. Okay. I think that's best case scenario in my mind. Um, I honestly, after hearing what Vach has to say, he's really, really good at pre not predicting, but when he loves a guy, those guys don't usually tend to stay on the board for very long. I know uh, he pretty much spot on predicted where Dallas was going to go with their pick last season. Yep. And Tyler Smith. Oh, he's on it now. Yeah, he's he's really on this sort of stuff. And Tyler Smith wasn't even really a, a first-round graded guy until very late in the draft process, and then people started to really catch on. Dewan Jones being this fringe second first-round guy, I don't see how after this combine and you look at the tape and, like, like he said, he – neutralizes any deficiency he has based off of his physical traits, which are not going away. They're just not. Good and point. if you can teach the technical to him, sky's the limit for the guy. I, and mean, look, I it, think Frank Pollock's a good offensive line coach. Right. I mean, He's been around a block a long time. I know we were all killing him, uh, but I blame that on Zach Taylor and did for those guys not playing it all together in the preseason when you got four brand new starters. Uh, last year, and they stunk the first two games, so they got better and better. They started the first 15 before the wheels fell off and all the injuries. All right. 
we got a lot of time to talk about this kind of thing. I want to get into the quarterback situation around the NFL because there have been some developments in the last 24 hours that, that really they're fascinating. It's why the NFL is the NFL. People can't stop talking about it, and the season doesn't start for six months, right? The preseason, five months. You got Derek Carr, who I don't think is very good at all. Maybe you guys do. We can get into that. Here are some of the numbers from Derek Carr. Okay? In his career, he's a little better than 2-to-1 touchdown interception ratio. Now, in fairness to Carr, he's played for some bad teams, and he's played for uh, behind some very poor offensive lines. Okay, so you got to give him, he is a gamer, he cares, he's tough, he led his team to the playoffs two years ago, so I'm not going to call him a stiff. I'm not going down that road. But I don't think that he is anywhere close to being a top 10 quarterback. But in the NFC South, do you have to be? I don't think right? so. Do you no. have to be? Right now as we sit here today, is he not the best quarterback by far in that division? Brady's gone from Tampa, right? Carolina, revolving door, go figure it out. Um, Atlanta, are they going with Des Ritter? Are they trying to bring somebody else in? They've already cut um, Mariota, right? So, yeah, he's the best quarterback by far in that division. He gets $100 million guaranteed, potentially on a four-year deal to make $150 million. Okay, you got that. Geno Smith, three years, $105 million to stay in Seattle. And you know what? I think everybody feels pretty good about Geno Smith. I mean, nobody could have carried themselves better than that guy. I loved hearing that guy interviewed. When, when everybody and his brother, as the season went on, kept asking, he says, hey, I never counted myself out. Great story. Good for him. Okay. Then there's the Rich Eisen thing from yesterday. Now, I don't know how much stock you want to put in this, but Rich Eisen is a highly respected member of the media in the National Football League. He's not some guy like so many of the analysts, right? He's more of your straight-up anchor, just-the-facts kind of guy. He doesn't throw you-know-what against the wall and sees what sticks, right? Because guys never get called out. It's like some guys that work baseball, and they have predicted this trade, this trade, this trade, this trade. They hit on one, and you think they know everything. The other 12, they're not even close, okay? Eisen's not this kind of guy. And he came out and said yesterday on his show that while he was at the combine where he was for a week, a number of people inside the NFL shared with him that don't rule out Tom Brady coming back again, depending on what happens with Tua in Miami. I can't. That's a big-time story, <laughs> if there's something to it. I just, Do you buy it? No. I can't buy it either. I Almost like uh, I can't buy it more or less because is there any way – is Tom Brady going to be the Brett Favre? Like, is he really going to go in front of a camera again and be out there sitting there 
with his, you know, with whatever <laughs> he was doing in the middle of the beach, right. saying he's done. And ha- I mean, it's almost like it'd be embarrassing for him to come back again. Honestly, maybe maybe he's beyond that to where he doesn't care about what other people think about him. But there'd be this sense of embarrassment. And like it or not, the internet's not a friendly place most of the time. And no, the internet, the internet is going to crush him about his whole family situation if he comes back again. They are, they are going to absolutely. It will take a hit. I'm not saying it'll take a hit on his legacy or nothing crazy, but there will be people that will have the meme or whatever. They will always tie him coming back huh. as a part of his career with his family. Like it or not, that I just, and I don't know if I should think of it that way. But I genuinely think it would almost be embarrassing for Tom Brady to come back. Whether he plays well or not, regardless, it would just be like, I don't know. All right, but there's ties here to this whole Miami thing, right? It's not like it's something, I mean. Miami's like the pretty girl he can't can't get a hold of. Well, I mean, they got in trouble. They got fined, I think it was, what, $1.5 million? Cost some people their jobs about having conversations, tampering with Brady. Here's two stats. Right? Now, the Tua thing is, you know, I, I, I really feel for this guy, and, and I, I really do, because another kid who carries himself with such grace and such class, his family, and when he was drafted, uh, that video uh, was just unbelievable watching that family. Um, you know, look, there was a time the first two months of the season where he was in the conversation of being the MVP of the league. He had it going on, right? Right. Then we remember what happened. Wobbling around on the field, okay? Comes back, plays against the Bengals, goes down, has to get carted off, has a concussion again at the end of the year. Now, everybody in Miami is saying, hey, he's coming back. But when you have a team like the Dolphins, it is a legitimate Super Bowl contending team when they have a good quarterback. Are you not going to have some kind of major league plan as a backup for Tua? Yeah, they're in a tough spot too. I I don't know what they do because whatever they decide to do, it's going to fracture something. It's going to either fracture the team or Tua. And whether we like it or not, I think – the ultimate best decision is for them to find a replacement because you don't want to have Tua have some career-ending, life-threatening injury again and it be pinned on the organization that that's the reason why he had this injury. It was because they didn't do their due diligence in protecting him. They didn't... Yeah, it's a hairy situation. I just... I think the smartest decision is to have a backup plan. I just don't know if it's Tom Brady. I I just go draft a guy in the second round if that's the case. I don't know. I mean, they don't even have a first round pick, so that, that they lost that because of this whole yep. issue, right? Yep. So maybe there is merit to it. Maybe they've they've lost so much financially or capitally with the draft capital that there is some merit to it that Tom Brady might decide to come out. But I just. That's a lot to bank on for a guy that's lost a lot. Lost a lot of family ties, um, respect. Um, and he didn't quite really play that well last yeah, well, year. That's what I was going to ask. I mean, uh, that, that's, that's my main question to you, Tom, is like when you watch Tom Brady last year and you're the Dolphins, 
Does he look like a guy that's going to be able to lead you to win a Super Bowl? Because well, again, you know, I look at that offensive line, Trace, and we've seen it with guys. You know, uh, you, you, you got to have guys. It's like Herbert. Herbert's an extraordinarily talented guy. You're a big Herbert guy. You know, I mean, but half of his offensive line was hurt all year long. It was the same thing in Tampa Bay. I mean, I saw gl enough glimpses of him looking great. We saw some glimpses of not so good. But I, I just wonder if you can keep him upright, keep him protected, could he sling it around? All right, I want to get to one more quarterback, and that's your guy. My guy. Your guy. Oh, no. You know who this is. Your yeah, guy. I do. Okay, he's out of his darkness retreat. Now, again, Rich Eisen said yesterday, his sources inside the Packers tell him they want Rodgers gone. They're done. But then you start looking at some of these numbers here now. Okay? How about that career record? Let's start with that. That's the only one that matters for me. Look at the touchdown to interception ratio in his career. Now, not as good last year. Okay? And the note at the bottom, he is out of the darkness and into the light. The light always <laughs> outdoes the darkness. The darkness can never win, right? All right. Do you believe, as a Green Bay Packer fan, Trace Fowler, do you believe that Aaron Rodgers is donning the green and gold of the Green Bay Packers in the fall of 2000, the year of our Lord, 23? Yay or nay? No. Really? I don't think so. I I am shocked. I, 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 when I say I like Aaron Rodgers, that's the, that would be a lie. I love Aaron Rodgers. I, he, he's been an unbelievable player to watch. He's been incredibly talented. I feel like for most of his career, he's masked a lot of that organization's problems. Um, and they did not do enough for him when they had the opportunities to. And case in point, they drafted a first-round quarterback off the heels of competing to, for a chance to go to the Super Bowl when they could have gotten him help. So I will always hold that against that franchise to a certain extent. However, we've gotten to this weird point now to where I do feel like it's time. And I don't know how to explain that, but as a fan, whether you want to call it all of the – and it doesn't even bother me, his stuff with McAfee, his retreat, right. his, 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 his takes on – you know, all the political topics from time to time that he will share his opinions on now when he used to not. He's gotten comfortable in his own skin, yep. I think, to where at this point in his career, he realizes he has so much money that if a team cut him tomorrow, he wouldn't care. So he's, he's being a little more flamboyant, right? However, it, it, it has become, to your, to your term, not to steal it, but it's tired. And it's, I'm just ready to move on. Tom, I'm I just tired. Wanna, I just want to watch the Green Bay Packers play and there not be this, this question mark that looms over top the franchise's head at the end of every offseason of whether or not he's going to go or come back. And we got to sit around here every year until March to figure out whether or not we're going to have a quarterback. Whether Jordan loves the guy or not, I'd like to see if we can at least see. Because the worst thing that could happen as a Packer fan is this. Aaron Rodgers comes back. they got to figure out a way to get rid of Jordan Love at some point because he's got to provide some value for a first-round pick. And Jordan Love goes on to become a really, really good NFL quarterback. So we wasted a first-round pick on a guy. He goes out. He's great. And then we got one more decent year with Aaron left. 
And to be frank with you, you guys know I feel this way. He's not the same guy. I've watched him play. I'm not trying to say he can't be still, still win a Super Bowl. If you put him in a perfect situation, he can win a Super Bowl again. But if he couldn't, they had more talented rosters than Green Bay Packers did when Aaron Rodgers was in his prime and they did not win a Super Bowl. How in the world as a Packer fan am I supposed to believe that now Aaron Rodgers passed his prime with a, le a, a lesser than roster mm -hmm. is going to win a Super Bowl? It's not going to happen. I just want to see what they have in Jordan Love and move on. That's where I'm at as a Packer right. fan. Okay. I still love Aaron. Doesn't Nothing against him, but I'm ready to go. Well, you got something against him. He called him tired. Casey, do you think that he is going to be back yay or nay? Um, you called him tired. Go ahead. You know, I don't. I just I don't see how the Packers can get rid of him. That's my take yeah. on it. I don't know if they would be satisfied with just a first round and a couple couple lower round picks to to trade him away because his cap hit is so huge. I mean, the only teams that could actually take on that cap hit right now, I think, are the Bears and maybe one other team, but I know that that's the only team that has at least above 50 million in cap space. So it, you're going to have to either find a trade for a player, you know, like something very similar to Seattle where they traded a couple key pieces and a couple first round picks, which I just don't think is going to happen because he's so old now that it just doesn't make sense. I, and he's so flaky he might retire the year after, and yeah. you're really going to buy a rental? I, well, there's I teams know. that I think that they're the, they're, they're, the good news is the NFL uh, doesn't have a surplus of quarterbacks that the league feels like they could win them a Super Bowl. So the, I do think that the Jets are a team that looks at their roster and they say, if we would have had Aaron Rodgers last year, we could have won the Super Bowl. Instead, we had Zach Wilson, and we had Joe Flacco, and we had other what other jabronis they had out Mike there Ryan. running around. Mike White. They, 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 they had a severe lack at one position last year to where if they would have had Aaron Rodgers, you could make the argument they could have won the whole thing, which is some franchises don't believe in the dynasty model. They believe in, let's get in while we got a chance. Let's go all in. Yep. Let's win it. That's what the Rams did. Yeah, and it's like, that's not a bad idea. The Marlins have done that in Major League Baseball a few times, and it's Twice. worked out. Twice. So, I'm hope I mean, as a Packer fan, I'm praying to God every night. Maybe not every night, right. but I'm praying to God every night there's going to be one team that's like, we need Aaron Rodgers, and they, I would, is it crazy to think I would just, one, I don't even want a whole lot back. Just, I just want to get rid of them. We got to get our, our buddy Bill Wills back on again from Green Bay as this thing kind of starts to move down the trail a little bit. All right, we have a uh, UDF cherry on top today, do we, Case? We do. By we the do. way, did you win your, your, your prop bet last night? No, I did not. Again, I think you guys are like 3-11. and 11. I don't think you've won a game since the first night. Second night, I'm sorry. You started 0-2, you went to 1-4, and 4, and now 3-11. and 11. Hopefully, that's turned around from both of you guys tonight. Trace's first crack at it. All right, what's the UDF cherry on top? This cherry on top, um, it's about grit. I'll put it like that. About it's, what? Uh, it's about grit. Uh, this is a sad story. Um, Andrew Voorhees, I think is yep. what his name is, yep. uh, tore his ACL USC. During, during the combine. He's a guard. And he wanted to continue doing the drills at the combine. So he got up there 
hurt, hasn't been treated yet. I mean, he's got the brace on, but he hasn't had surgery. And he benches 38 times. That's unbelievable, 38. That is a massively strong man. And for those of you who don't know the story, he's been a two-year starter at USC. Everybody thought he'd be a third, fourth-round pick, maybe slip to the fifth round, but certainly a chance to play in the National Football League. Coming out of a great program. Uh, and during the drills the other day, he tears his ACL. You know, one thing I'm going to look up, and we'll get into it tomorrow. I've always wondered, when that happens to a kid who now is out of college, because if he was in college, a college would be paying for that surgery. He's not a pro player, so he doesn't have, you know, health benefits from a pro team. I mean, is his family paying for that surgery? How does that thing work? We'll, we'll have to look into that. All right, again, uh, tomorrow... Um, my dad will be joining us early, and then a little bit later on, we're stepping out of the box a little bit. We might have Seth Davis on tomorrow from CBS Sports to talk a little bit about the conference tournaments, what certain teams have to do to get in, his thoughts on Xavier. I'm waiting to hear back from him anytime now. And we're also going to be joined by Dan and Sam Telkamp, young lady who's been diagnosed with ALS. Um, and you know, we're going to try to raise awareness. Uh, she's one of three people in the state of Ohio who is uh, under 22 years of age uh, that has been diagnosed with ALS. And they're trying to raise some money. It's a family. Uh, they're not destitute. I'm not trying to present that. But it's not a family uh, that has money growing on trees. And if we can raise some money to help get them a van to transfer her, her around and, and, and get her into doctor's appointments and so forth or, or, or you know, trying to help them with their house and and he would do all the work on it because he's a construction guy uh, to get their house ready for wheelchairs. And then we're going to try to do that tomorrow. All right, boys, went by pretty quick today. Yeah. There's a... Now that we've had our power meeting, it was a big time meeting yesterday. <laughs> he's, he's all about that meeting. He, he, I am because like I, I'm a guy that needs to be a little bit more organized because I've never <laughs> had to do this before. And thinking long-term, you guys are better at this stuff than me, among many things. I wouldn't say that. So if we can make this show a little bit better for all of you and trying to think outside the box and plan a little bit better instead of me sitting there texting you, know, texting you guys or texting somebody <laughs> else trying to line up somebody in eight hours from now, maybe that would be a good idea. All right. We thank you for joining us. Look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Have a great rest of your Tuesday. Thanks.